I watched a lot of movies when I was a young man. I grew up in the 1980s, and that decade had a lot of good movies. <laughs> E.T. phoned home. The Goonies, they found One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship. Indiana Jones is one of my favorites. He found the Lost Ark, and we know that it's stored away in a government warehouse where nobody will ever find it now. And Marty McFly went back to the future. Do you remember that one? I can tell a few of you do. If you remember the story, Crazy Doc Brown made a time machine out of a DeLorean with a flux capacitor, and 17-year-old Marty accidentally gets sent 30 years into the past, back to the time when his parents were teenagers. And the problem for Marty was that he had to ensure that he didn't mess anything up, because if he messed some of the events up in his past, well, guess what would happen? He wouldn't be alive when he got back to the future. And this movie came to mind this week. I often have movies come to mind. Um, but this one came to mind this week as I thought on this passage. And the reason was is that Daniel in our chapter is told something about the future. But fortunately, there was no danger that he or even the mightiest man on earth, the king named Nebuchadnezzar, they could not do anything to mess it up. The future that he was shown was a sure thing. And the simple way to describe that future is God and his kingdom will win in the end. And my aim, because I think it's God's aim in this passage, is to give hopeful comfort with that truth. I think you would admit there's a lot going on in our world right now, isn't there? A lot of things are messed up. Sin is happening on an incredible scale. And because of the technology that we have, we are more aware of any generation that has come before us of how messed up things are. We almost we know too much. Nations are warring with nations. There's political disasters, economic disasters, human rights disasters. And as aware as we are of all of that evil, there's all kinds of evil that we're not aware of in all sorts of dark places. So on a scale that's far larger than us and in a way that seems out of control, sin and evil, what do they look like? They look like they are winning, don't they? And that's on a global level. And we can get on our phone right now and with a few clicks we can see all of that happening, can't we? All the news sources that trouble our hearts. But what about in our own communities and in our own city? What's, what's going on here? What about the homes that are here in South Buffalo? Is it much different than what we see on a global scale? We look around and we see homes that are broken, children that are hurt, drugs, hate, death, 
All of that exists right here close to us too. And it is so easy to get overwhelmed by it all. And for some, I know that they look out and they think it's all hopeless. We need to be reminded again and again and again, don't we, that God wins. That there is a wise and good plan that is being carried out, even right now, in spite of what it looks like out there. History is not a runaway train. God has not taken His hand off the wheel. You and I need to grab a hold of the simple truth again and again that we are living in God's world. This is His world. He's in control. He is good. Victory has been secured. And we get to be included in it. And one day, maybe soon, maybe it's a lot later, all that will be left will be the kingdom of God. Praise God. Where only order exists, only love, where the king won't ever wake up and have a midlife crisis or sell his soul for power. No, God's people will be with him forever and ever, under his perfect rule always. My heart needs to be told that today. And I'm assuming there's a few others in this room who need to hear it too. I want you to remember where God's people are in this story here in Daniel chapter 2. We were in Daniel 1 last week, Daniel 2 this week. Guess where we'll be next week? Daniel 3. Where are they at in this cultural moment? They'd been carried off to Babylon. Long ways away. It was somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 miles away. About the distance between here and Dallas, Texas. Probably, carry, I mean, probably took them four months. I don't know how long to get there, but a long time. And that's walking like 10 or 15 miles a day. Maybe much longer. And for us, you know, you and I, we could get on a plane tonight and we can fly to Dallas, be there by evening. Doesn't seem that far away to you and to me in the world that we live in. But in their world, it might as well have been on the other side of the world. They were never going home. They were there for always. As far as we know, Daniel was there for the rest of his life. At the end of chapter 1, we saw that he was there until the time of King Cyrus. He's there for 70 years. The man got carried off there and he died there. These folks weren't going home. Do you think that they were feeling hopeful about the future? Do you think their spirits were lifted up at that time? Do you think they felt encouraged? I don't see any other reason for this particular story to be in the book of Daniel except to encourage God's people that in spite of current appearances, the God who loves you is in control of history. He is. And there is hope for you beyond your cultural moment, whatever you're experiencing right now. So let's take a look at what's here. Instead of reading all 49 verses of Daniel 2, I want you to have your Bibles open to look at certain verses that we're going to look at along the way, and I want to give some explanation, and then I'm going to give some application. And if you know anything about Daniel 2, you know that the events all revolve around a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. 
That's what we're told here in verse 1. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And what proceeds to take place from this is that he wants his court sorcerers to come to him and explain his dream. Not just the interpretation. He doesn't want them to come and just tell him what it means. He wants them to first come and tell him what was in his dream and then explain it. That's why they're employed to do magic stuff like that. If they can't do their job, what good are they? As Nebuchadnezzar knows that these wise men that are in his court, they often just tell him things that he wants to hear. Right? They value their heads. They're not looking to tell him any negative news. And King Nebuchadnezzar is a wise man. He knows that. But the dream that he has had has troubled his soul. It says that his sleep has left him. So he's not looking to be built up here. He's not looking to have his ego stroked at all. This man wants to know the truth. And he wants to know that they are telling him the truth. And the only way that he can be sure of that is if they not only give the interpretation, but they give the details of the dream that he has had. What do you think they said to him? They say to him, how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to tell you what your dream means if you don't tell us the details of the dream? Come on, king. Give us some detail here. But he says in verse 9, If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Well, they know that they can't do it. Verses 10 and 11 say, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the demands of the king. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. And here's the verse that kind of sets the tone for the chapter. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And so if King Nebuchadnezzar is going to get an interpretation for his dream and what the details are of his dream, they are saying there is no person who can do this, but only the gods. And so guess who's going to have to show him? The God who is in heaven. Well, they're not able to do it. No God revealed it to them. Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. And he says, well, I'm going to carry out my sentence then. And so he commands that all the magicians, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, all the wise men of the land are to be killed. Well, guess who is included in that group? Daniel and his friends. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are also on the chopping block. And the man who's supposed to do it, his name is Arioch. He's the captain of the guard. He comes to Daniel and his friends to carry out their death sentence. And just as anybody would want to know why he's there to do what he's supposed to do, Daniel asks him, what's going on? Why are you here? 
Why are we going to die for? And Arioch tells him about the dream. And Daniel asks for a time to meet with the king to give him the interpretation. But at this particular point in time, Daniel does not know it. He doesn't know the interpretation. He just says, get me an appointment and I'll give it to him. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What do you think that prayer meeting that night was like? Do you think these men were down on their knees asking God to do that very thing? Oh, God, please show up. They were asking something from God that only He could give. He was their only trust. He was their only hope in that moment. Would He answer them? If He didn't, we wouldn't have this book in the Bible, would we? Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Daniel gets his appointment with the king. And Nebuchadnezzar asks him, verse 26, when he shows up in front of him, he says, are you able to make known the dream to me? And its interpretation are you able to do this? Are you sure? Daniel knows his life depends on this being answered in the affirmative. And he has a great response for the king. Listen to what he says there in verses 27 and 28. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that he has asked. But, <laughs> that's a key word, isn't it? But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And He goes on to proceed to tell him. I just want to pause for a second and just take note of what this man Daniel was like when he was given opportunity to speak to the king. Look at what he says to him in godly humility. He's standing before the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth. And I don't know exactly what that scene would have looked like there in the king's court, but I have to imagine that it was imposing. This little peon Daniel standing before the most powerful man in the world. This king is ready to kill him if he's not able to do what he says he's going to do. And when given the opportunity to say something, the first thing that he wants the king to know is that there is a God in heaven. You know, even, even the way he starts that. Are you able to do this thing? And he says, no, wise man, enchanter. I mean, at the answer of no, his head could have come off. But he wants to make it clear to the king that it is not his power and not his ability to be able to do these things. Only one can. And it's the God who is in heaven. 
And as much as King Nebuchadnezzar thinks of himself, Daniel is telling him, you are not the top dog. He's not ultimately in control. If he was, he would not need this little Hebrew man to come and tell him about his dream. And here Daniel stands before him and he takes no credit. He gives it to the Lord. Matter of fact, he makes certain he's going to do that. If anything is going to happen here in the king's court, God is going to get glory for it all. It is an absolute priority for Daniel. So he will not take this moment to be a glory thief. And I think that's something that's pretty instructive for all of us. If there's ever an opportunity, especially here serving in the church of the living God, doing His work where God does great things, and that's what we ask Him to do, right? We don't ask God to do the things that we can only do. We ask Him to do what God does, to show up and change the hearts of men, to bring repentance to neighborhoods, to bring repentance to households of those kids that come tonight. And if God does it, if God does a work in us, we know that it is from Him, and we will not take credit for it. It's to His glory and to His praise and to His honor. And that's what Daniel shows us here. So what's the dream? Finally, the dream, right? First, Daniel describes the details of what King Nebuchadnezzar saw that night. He says that in his dream as he laid on his bed, he saw a frightening image. He saw a statue it was giant, huge. It had a head of gold, it had a chest of silver, a waist of, bronze, a waist of bronze, and legs of iron. And its feet, Daniel says, were made of a mixture of iron and clay. And then, verse 34, 35, he says, As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Well, what does it all mean? Daniel had two tasks, didn't he? He's demonstrated by telling the king everything that was in his dream that he also had the ability to tell him what, is, what it meant. So I have to imagine that King Nebuchadnezzar at this point is all ears. And Daniel tells him to start off that you, king, are the head of gold. It's a pretty good start for the king, right? Ah, it's music to my ears, Daniel. I am the head of gold. That's what Daniel says in 37 and 38. Matter of fact, he's telling him how great he is. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. He's saying that you are a magnificent king. All the children of man and all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, they all belong to you because the God of heaven has given them into your power. You are great. You are the head of gold. Of gold. But then he says, 
Another kingdom will come behind his, inferior to the one that he rules. And so here we see that the silver has taken place of the gold. And then along comes another kingdom that is representative of the bronze. Then the iron. Then the iron mixed with clay. All of these are kingdoms that will follow in succession behind the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar has. But it does not sound like great historical progress, does it? Each, each type of metal is inferior to the one before it. Starting with the gold and ending up becoming iron and mud. And just to make it known what most of the commentators say, they say they believe that the kingdoms represented in the statue, starting with King Nebuchadnezzar's, or first his kingdom, which is Babylon, which was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. Along afterwards comes Alexander the Great and Greece, and then following him comes Rome. That's the main thought that is out there of what all of this makes up. And then some sort of kingdoms, various kingdoms make up those ten toes. But I do not want you to get all tangled up in that because God does not tell us all of these things. I don't think that is the main point here. There's something more for us to understand in these verses. And it's what Daniel says in verses 44 and 45. He says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So all these other kingdoms before that one, they're all conquerable, no matter how great they look. Because King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, as great as it was, at some point it would fall. Every kingdom made of man does. But he says there will be a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it, that kingdom, shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. So who builds this kingdom? God does. No human being does. And it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. So God is, being, is making known to the king all of these things that will happen will happen in the end. He's telling him something very important here in verses 44 and 45, that there will be a kingdom that lasts forever, that will supersede all of these that will go before it. Well, after all of this, hearing his dream reiterated to him, and then the interpretation of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar is thrilled. He's delighted. And now he gives honor to the God of Daniel for showing it to him. The king answered, verse 47, and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So you might think that after hearing all of this that Nebuchadnezzar might be a little upset by all of this information, maybe even just a little, that his kingdom will ultimately be conquered it was not an unconquerable place that he had built. There will be another kingdom, we're told, on down the line that would destroy everything that he has built. We're not told why he was happy. But it could have been like one of those kings of Israel who was told that everything would be well as long as he was alive, but after he died that his kingdom would also fall. And his response was, well, I'm glad that's not going to happen to me. Stinks to be them. 
And maybe that was Nebuchadnezzar's thinking here. Maybe he was thinking, you know, it's just great to be the head of gold right now. I can't control anything that comes after me. So maybe that's why he's thrilled here. This book, Daniel, was not written as a memoir for King Nebuchadnezzar. It was written to be an encouragement for God's oppressed people. And because God did not choose to spend time here hashing all the details out about what the various parts of the statue mean, I don't think that's where we need to spend our time either. What do you think God wanted His people at that time to know? What was He telling them? Yep, it looks like everything is lost. Powerful kings are ruling over you. But guess what? They are not eternal. Their kingdoms will fall, and in the end, only one kingdom will stand, and it will be a kingdom not made by human hands. It will be one that is fashioned by the hand of God. Do you think, in this particular moment, that God's people needed to hear that? Man, I think so. And I have to imagine that in this particular moment here, two and a half millennia later, that God's people still need to hear that truth. Because when we look around us, man, it's so divisive out there. There's so much evil out there. Nobody seems to give, well, they don't care about God and His gospel. It all kind of looks hopeless to my human eyes. Doesn't look like anybody's in control either. It's just a big mess. But God is telling His people here, this here, and God is telling His people here, in this room, that He will smash everything to bits that rebellious man has made by the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You and I need that encouragement that our King, I love this, in Revelation chapter 1 we are told that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the King even right now. We're not just waiting on His coronation day. Okay? He's already had that. And He is ruling in heaven. No matter what it looks like to you, no matter what it looks like to me, we are a victorious people right now. Jesus is triumphant. And we need to be reminded of that. Because my heart often doesn't feel it. Does yours? My heart gets frustrated. I get angry. Want to just turn off the news and never see it again? Sometimes we just need to do that anyway, don't we? We are inundated. Our minds are filled with way too much of that and way too little of this. So we need to be thankful for God's Word that brings us back to the most important things. 
And we have more access to the story than Daniel does. God has given us information that they didn't have. We do have in the New Testament, but we still live in a world that's very similar to Daniel's. But God has told us that His Son has come into this world to offer hope to broken men. That if they will just yield their allegiance to Him and love and in obedience to our great King in repentance and in faith, that any person, any person, great or small, can become a citizen of heaven right now. Right here where we sit or where I stand can become a citizen of heaven as we wait for the return of our King. It's a simple truth, and sometimes that's what we need to be reminded of. I was telling my kids that last night. I just, that's all I need. I just need the ABCs again and again. Jesus will return. He'll come back. He's coming for us. And sometimes that's all we need to hear to have our weak knees strengthened and our drooping hands lifted up. He's not going to leave us here. There will come a time. I don't know. I, I, I hope it's soon. I know you do too. But there will come a time when we look back and think, huh, I was so filled with doubt and anxiety then. What did I have to worry about as we sit in the kingdom of God? I think that's what Daniel and his fellow believers, as they were cast away in that far country, that's what they needed to hear, that God has not abandoned you no matter what it looks like. But sometimes we want more than that, right? We want more details. Tell us when, Lord. Ah, special revelation. Coming next week. We're always looking for more. But God hasn't given us more. He's given us what we need. Right here in His Word. And He's chosen to keep most of the details veiled. But this is clear, and we'll close with this. God's intent is not for us to know the winds, W-H-E-M. It's for us to be faithful and hopeful in the throughs and until. Faith and trust in Him is not grown by having every detail made clear to us. We want that, don't we? We want every detail just so that we know that we're on solid ground. That makes us feel safe. It makes us feel secure. But God has not done that. He doesn't give me every detail about my circumstances. He doesn't tell me when that suffering is going to be over. He doesn't tell me when I'm going to feel better or that everything is going to turn out all right. But faith and trust in Him requires that we don't know everything about our circumstances, but that we do know who our God is while we're in them. That's the main thing. And I, I think that's the main thing for these people here too. Tell me more about the statue. Tell me more about the ten toes. No! Tell me more about my God who is with me while I'm here. God wants us to have faith in Him and who He is, that He is loving, and that He will accomplish everything that He says He will in the end. 
and in the throughs and in the untils, I just need to look to him and know that he will not leave me as an orphan because he has said so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather together and hopefully be strengthened in your word. If it were up to us, or if it were up to man, sinful man, we would look out there and see nothing hopeful. But we have a God in heaven. And because of that, because you are powerful, because you are sovereign, because you are filled with goodness and filled with love, there is hope for man. And it is a certain hope for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith. We did not conjure it up on our own. You have given it to us so that we will have this hope. And we give you praise. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this people. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is completely in Him. And we praise you for it. We ask all this in His name. Amen. If you would, please stand to your feet. We'll sing the doxology. And we will be on our way, continuing our worship throughout the day until many of us come back tonight.